guys, welcome back to the Drunken Scholar Podcast. I'm your host, Devin Clays, and this is the Wars of the North series. And where we're starting off today is, is now the year 1704, right? The Great Northern War has been going on for four years, and the Grand Alliance formed against Sweden's boy king, Charles Twelfth. As the war starts, he ends up defying the odds, right? He's able to force out Denmark in a matter of months, then turns around and scores crazy victories at Narva and then Klisov. As he begins his Polish campaign, the Polish nobility becomes increasingly divided as the Commonwealth descends into a civil war. Right. And meanwhile, in the north, Peter has rebuilt his army. He's besieging the northern fortresses, as well as sending money and troops down to the Commonwealth to help the Saxons and the Commonwealth troops under Augustus. And where we left off in the last episode was the Sejim forming and tensions reaching a boiling point. And all the people of that pro-Swedish faction or the opposition faction ends up getting denounced. They're branded traitors. And where we see ourselves now is after the Battle of Klizov and the enemy forces are divided, right? Charles, his aim in the Commonwealth was to dethrone Augustus and hopefully get someone a bit more friendly on the throne. Although Augustus is going to try to make peace with Sweden multiple times, Charles simply does not like Augustus, nor does he trust him. And so in Charles's position come July of that year, he decides that he is going to ignore the Polish elections or the Commonwealth elections, and he decides he wants to handpick the king, someone he knows is going to be more friendly. And on paper, this seems like a good idea, right? Because, you know, you're going to handpick the guy you want to rule the nation. But this is going to have very dire consequences that is going to haunt Charles later down the road. But meanwhile, the loyalist forces under Augustus, they formalized the alliance with Russia and they officially declare war on Sweden. Meanwhile, the opposition... They formally declare war on the Russians. And the issue is here with this opposition faction, right? These guys, they're joining the opposition faction. These these guys don't just simply like the Swedes, okay? These guys are just the, the nobles and magnates that kind of joined for ambitious reasons or greedy reasons. You know, some of them have designs on the throne for themselves. Others just want to flip flop and see which way the wind blows and see who can give them the most stuff. And the guy that Charles decides to appoint as king is going to be Stanislav Leschinsky, right? And this guy isn't the first pick, okay? You know, Charles has a couple other people in mind, but during this decision-making process, some of these ambitious lords in the Commonwealth, you know, all of a sudden, these candidates for the throne, they start getting killed or they go missing mysteriously. 
So Lischinski is like Charles' third pick. And to Lischinski's credit, he's going to try to gain support, you know, offering titles and various court positions in order for people to defect to his side. But in the Commonwealth, Leschinski is not going to have a whole lot of legitimacy and doesn't have really a leg to stand on because the election was kind of forced at gunpoint. Most of the session wasn't even there. A lot of the formalities that go with electing a new king were just ignored. You know, so so this is all going to play a really big part in this Polish Civil War as Charles continues his campaign in the Commonwealth. And for what it's worth, both Sweden and Russia see how critical the Commonwealth support is in this northern war here. So both of these parties, they're trying to make various promises to the Commonwealth. And the Swedish position under Charles he is pretty steep with his demands, but they're very clear cut and they are honest. And so for the Swedes, Charles promises the Commonwealth that the Commonwealth can get back their their lands lost to the Russians in their previous war. So they get back Smolensk, Kiev, all that good stuff. But in return, Sweden wants to take the rest of the Commonwealth Livonia he wants all the trade goods, all the Baltic exports to go through Riga so he can get taxes and tariffs on all that. He demands unrestricted recruitment rights in the Commonwealth and all this other stuff. And it's just very, very one-sided for Sweden's benefit. But Peter sees this and what Peter promises the Commonwealth is a lot less steep, right? He's, he's kind of making these political maneuvers to get more support. And so Peter's position, what he promises the Commonwealth, is that he'll give them Kiev and the East Bank, the Dnieper, and as well as the Commonwealth would get uh, the Swedish Livonia as well and whatnot. And that's just, and that's as simple as it is. However, Peter has no intention of giving the Poles anything, but th these are just empty words to get some support, you know, for the short-term gains and whatnot. But aside from all this political stuff going on up in the north, that August, Peter he's attacking Narva again, but this time Charles isn't there, and the main army isn't there to help defend it. And so the commander in charge, General Horn. He's, he's able to do what he can at Narva, and he leads a doggish defense. But eventually, after seeing that there's no reinforcements coming, they're hopelessly outmatched and outgunned, you know, it's, it's going to fall. It's only a matter of time. And so the Swedish commander, he ends up accepting a surrender. He, he, he is willing to surrender, but only under the conditions that the citizens and the people living there are spared. Just leave the people alone and then they can take him in cuffs. But when when the Russians enter the city, they go back on their word and they end up slaughtering and raping the majority of the population. Narva is just completely ruined after the fall. Now, in 1705, the following year, Stanislav's coronation is supposed to happen. And 
you know, this coronation of this phony king, Augustus isn't going to try to take this laying down, right? And so Augustus, he rushes in and sends a bunch of his cavalry to try to stop the coronation and whatnot. But the Swedes, they catch wind of this and they end up just slaughtering all of the cavalry. And to make Augustus's position even worse is that these cavalrymen end up divulging the information for this great upcoming campaign from the coalition forces. And there hasn't really been any major battles in the last like year, year and a half. And essentially what's in the works here is that there is about to be a massive three pronged attack towards Warsaw, right? The, there's going to be a Russian Saxon force coming from the east. There's a Polish force coming from the south. There's a Saxon Russian force coming from the west. Okay. And these are big numbers, right? This is like 60, 70,000 men total, right? This is a lot of guys coming. And the Swedes, they don't really have the numbers to match them. And so Charles, getting this information, he issues out a flurry of orders. Right. And in January of 1706, he's going to force march his troops all the way to Grodno in the in the dead of winter. Just force marches, marches the troops east. And what happens here at the at the Battle of Holsen, it's called, you know, the Swedes are going to be outnumbered. And what ends up happening is Charles is able to just blitz these guys and catch them with their pants down in a surprise maneuver, immediately these Russian troops, they begin to break. The battle's over very quickly. But although the casualties of the battle aren't that high initially, the retreat and freezing conditions with the baggage train gone and all the supplies gone, the Russians and Saxons lose 15,000 troops here, while the Swedes only lose 3,000. So this is like a huge win out here in the east while at the same time another big battle is going out in the west at uh, Fraustadt and this is the following month of the same year this is one of Charles's marshals right General uh, Reichshold if that's how you pronounce it but regardless General Reichshold he sees he's about to be outnumbered like four to one Okay, with all these different armies closing in, but he's able to use a misinformation campaign and bait one of these Russian Saxon armies into attacking him before all these armies can conjoin. And so regardless of of baiting these troops, General Reichshold is going to be outnumbered like two to one here. Okay, the Swedes, they have about 10,000 men. Okay. Meanwhile, the Russian Saxon forces have about 20,000. The Swedes have no artillery whatsoever, whereas the Russians got 76 guns here. And falling back, General Reichshold's able to pick the ground, right? They're going to they're gonna be in a pretty good defensible position, but regardless, the numbers are not in their odds. And what he decides to do is... Honestly insane, because this dude, he decides that they're just going to do an all-out charge. 
against these Russian Saxon forces. And these guys, they're, they're entrenched, right? These guys are ready to go. And Reichshold orders the infantry to not even fire their muskets, just a straightforward melee charge into a hail of musket volleys, as well as artillery barrages all the way home. And surprisingly, it is just a catastrophe for the Saxons and Russians yet again. Because although the Swedes should have just been melted on that charge, the the Russian Saxon troops, they were ordered not to fire their muskets until they got about 80 yards in. Once you could see them getting really close, then discharge the firearms for like maximum impact, right? But regardless, these Swedes, they're just so well disciplined, they actually are able to reach the lines and break through. And these Swedes, being experts at melee combat, just melt through the Saxon-Russian troops. And immediately, the Russians, once again, they start to flee the field and rout. Meanwhile, on the on the wings, the Swedish cavalry just starts cutting through their guys. And what ends up resulting from this is there, there starts to be a double envelopment. And it is just absolute massacre. Right after after Frauchstadt, the Russians and Saxon forces they lose fifteen thousand men totaled, combining the dead, wounded, and prisoners. Whereas the Swedes they only lose a thousand five hundred. That's like ten to one ratio there. So this battle is huge. This decides that Sweden is going to maintain the initiative and the momentum here, and this battle is extra crucial. Because now there are no Saxon troops left to defend Saxony itself. And meanwhile, the other army that was supposed to combine uh, with this army lost at Fraustadt, led by Augustus, he ends up like hearing the news, decides to retreat with his army and go all the way back to Krakow. Okay. And now with this victory at Holsten, the victory at Fraustadt, Charles is able to wheel about the whole army and go straight to Saxony, right? And Saxony's undefended. Soon after, Leipzig falls within a matter of months as Saxony gets occupied. And Charles is able to dictate terms to Augustus, who surrenders without any conditions, right? Uh, Augustus just wants peace at any point. Resulting from this, we get the Peace of Aldenstadt in which Augustus, he would agree to give up and renounce all claims to the Commonwealth throne, and Saxony would officially be out of the war. And Augustus is just going to go back home now. So for all intents and purposes, it looks like everything's getting wrapped up, right? The Swedes, they just can nonstop get these great victories. Okay, Augustus is out of the picture. Now you just got to clean up these rebels in the Commonwealth. And now Charles can focus more on the Russians front. However, despite all these victories, this is going to be the case in point of a situation where, you know, you win all the battles, but you lose the war. Right, Because although the Swedes are able to get all these crazy, decisive victories, 
the political situation in the Commonwealth is not going so well, right? Stanislav is unable to get all that great support he wants. All the lords are very fickle. No one supports him definitively one way or the other. So the same thing is happening in Augustus's camp. Although Augustus renounces the claims and the titles of king of the Commonwealth, most of the magnates and lords on the loyalist forces, they don't see it that way. They refuse to recognize the Treaty of Altenstadt. And what happens is you have this great guerrilla war of raids and counter raids as, as tens of thousands of troops are just being engaged all over the place. Charles, he decides that, you know, this whole deal's wrapped up. He's going to leave a corps in the Commonwealth to help out Lischinski, you know, mop things up while he starts to plan his campaign for Russia. He's going to sit there and build up troops and supplies and decide with his marshals which way he wants to go here, right? Because there's a bunch of different paths into Russia. And ultimately, he makes the fateful and critical error of going into Ukraine. On paper, this seemed like a good decision, but as we'll find out in the next episode, it ends up being Charles's greatest disaster. But yeah, that's going to be it for this episode. Appreciate y'all guys. Stay tuned for the next one.